here we go again. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this is episode 202. All right. We are breaking through the barrier of the 200s. I'm super psyched. And joining me today is Dr. Ryan D. Bell. And I'm super pumped about this interview because he's a chiropractor that sees the value of exercise as part of rehab. My biggest pet peeve about the rehab industry is a lot of physios and chiros don't think exercise has its place. And some of them do, but it's like so far beyond what it could be. Meaning you go to physio and chiro and your low back hurts and all they give you is bird dogs and clamshells and apparently that's going to fix all your shit. But Ryan knows that progression, lifting heavy, moving more effectively and efficiently are the keys to success when it comes to rehab. So without further ado, here is Dr. Ryan DeBell. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut to Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me for the first time is Dr. Ryan DeBell. Say hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> awesome. Um, so I always like to start the show with some like easy lobbying questions to get the flow going. So the first easy question is what is the current book you're reading or listening to? I'm reading a book right now by Alan Watts called Out of Your Mind. That's the book I'm reading right now. What's that about? <laughs> it's, uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. Nice. It's, um, and I'm 70% of the way through. So <laughs> let's say it's, let's say it's like this. He is essentially like a thought leader in sort of life philosophy, I suppose you could say mm-hmm. from the early to mid 1900s. And I believe he was born in Europe and then lived in the United States and then lived in um, Asia, around Asia for a long time and studied different, like Buddhism, Hinduism, Zen. And then the book is sort of about different views and uh, constructs of how we think about life generally and how the Western and Eastern uh, contrast. So how did you get yourself into that book? Because that's like a very, very interesting topic. Well, so I was doing my goal setting for 2019, and I was setting goals for different areas of my life. And one area was uh, spiritual, and my goal in that was to find three thought leaders from different eras and, and read three books from each person over the course of the year. Um, and I had listened to some of his talks that were on YouTube, some like audio recordings, and I just looked for some of his, I, I researched a little bit on what people thought were his best books and what order to read them in, and that was one that I, I saw multiple times. That's freaking awesome. And like, yeah. do, you, do you plan your years like all the time, or is this kind of like the first time you've done it? Well, I always say I'm going to do it. Yeah, and this is this is the first year where I'm actually doing it because I've, I've, I'm at a point now where it's like okay, I'm gonna stop talking about doing things and actually do all the things that I talk about. Yeah, because it's funny that you brought that up because like I also do solo episodes of my podcast, and uh-huh. literally a couple of days ago I was t- talking to my audience about how they should be planning their entire year and then reverse engineer every single goal from you know, yeah. quarterly basis, monthly, weekly to the daily. And if mm-hmm. you just follow that checklist every single day, eventually you're going to get to that goal. And I remember like learning mm-hmm. this when I first started training from a mentor of mine. And I was like, that's the reason why I get shit done is because I have like a list of stuff just to do every yep. single day. And like, it's easy when you get in the rhythm of it. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I have a, um, so I did it a similar way. I think there were five or six areas of life and I set a, basically a year end goal and then what I thought it would take to get there and then the daily habits that need to be done in order to achieve that. So for me, it was, um, 
uh, when I calculated all the books I wanted to read, I had to I have to read approximately 45 minutes per day. So I have a I have a spreadsheet where I track those, and then so every day I track I and did I read 45 minutes? Yes or no? Like that's one of the uh, yeah. eight daily things that I have to do. So yeah, when you actually do it that way, it, it like otherwise what happens is you're like you get towards the end of the year. And you're like, oh, I'm supposed to read 25 books this year. I've only read two. Now I got to start reading a lot. And then oh, I got to. It's like you have so much to do suddenly. Yeah. But if you did, if you just did a little bit each day, um, a lot of that stuff would take care of itself. And the same, you know, it's, it's true for every area of your life: working out, eating healthy, moving, learning, etc. It's all. It's all daily. Like the only way you can access big changes is through small daily routines. Definitely, hundred um, percent. Second easy question: What is the current Netflix series you're watching, or you do not watch any TV if you're one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently watched um, Mr. Robot. Okay. That's not that's not on Netflix though. Well, it's TV on, series, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's only two seasons, but we watched that, and then after that, it was like, okay, I can't watch TV series anymore because um, I'd rather watch a movie. Because a TV series, it's so long, and if if I'm in the middle of it, I have this urge to complete it, and it ends up taking more of my time away from the things that I know are probably more productive for me. No, so I like if I feel like I want to, if yeah, if I feel like I want to tune out or zone out, then I'll watch a a movie or a documentary or something. But I try not to get into series, actually. But I've 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 watched a lot of series. <laughs> Which one was your favorite? I think, I think uh, watching Lost nice. was my favorite series until until the ending, and then I felt like that kind of ruined it. But um, that show, the first couple of seasons of that show, were just I, I thought so thought provoking. <laughs> Lost is the show that got me into binge watching in the very first place, and then when I got to yeah. the end, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, man, smoke monster and all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so the last easy question is, what do you got planned for the weekend? I'm teaching a seminar on Saturday, and then Sunday, I'm doing a Move It Fix community gathering here. I'm in Sydney right now, and. So yesterday I was planning out this walk around the coast, and there's all these little exercise stations. And so I'm going to do a free gathering of people who follow Movement Fix. And we're going to hopefully, you know, ideally do a coastal walk and then stop at each station and talk about some different aspect of fitness or moving or exercise. That sounds amazing. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time I'm ever going to do that. I, I went, uh, Usually when I teach a seminar in a city, it's like I go, I teach a seminar, and then I leave. And uh, I really want to do more in-person interaction between myself and other people and other people and other people so that, like, the platform and the audience that has um, grown following the stuff that I've created, can they can meet each other and flourish and new connections can be made, new friendships, whatever. So I'm, I'm trying to do that more. I think it's important. Awesome. Um, so before we get any further, because like I know we can probably talk like forever, let's get an intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Yeah. So, uh, so in the year nineteen, no, I was born, and then I studied for a very long time. I went to business school at the University of Washington in Seattle, and then um, I studied information technology or the management of information systems, to be more accurate. And then from there, I went to chiropractic school, which seems like a weird transition, mainly because I had a passion my whole life for fitness and health. So like, I started working out when I was probably like 10 years old, on a to- actually on a total gym. I would, awesome. my, parents had a, my parents had a total gym, and I would work, on, work out on it like an hour a day <laughs> since I was like 10 or 11 years old. Um, but I also really like, I've always really enjoyed technology. So I studied the technology and information sy- uh, systems stuff, but I realized the route that that led into the corporate world wasn't something I wanted to pursue. Uh, so I was trying to decide what area of health or fitness did I want to go into. And just through some personal experiences, I decided on um, that, a degree in chiropractic. And uh, so when I was Going to get that, they offered a master's degree in exercise science, so I did that as well. And anyways, then I graduated. I started a clinic in, in the Seattle area, 
Um, I practiced there for about four and a half years, before, and then I sold the clinic recently, about eight months ago. And uh, during that time when I was in the clinic, I was teaching seminars to trainers, PTs, chiros, pretty much anyone who wanted to learn about movement just from a, you know, a unique perspective because everybody has their own perspective on things. And that grew much more than anticipated. I recorded the workshop, made it into an online course, and then I started making some programs for self-help. So I, when I was in my clinic, one of the things that, probably the two most common things I treated were shoulder pain and low back pain. And I found that so much of what it took to get people better was pretty much the same. Of course, there are differences. So I, I made a template, like a shoulder template and a low back template and made those into programs that I started selling on my site. And then the workshops and, the, and those started to grow. And I realized that I really like building things. And I really like using technology to solve problems. So I essentially combined the technology aspect of what I learned with the health and fitness. And so now I'm pursuing that. Um, so I've been solely focused on that. And now um, I'm also in the process of manufacturing a soft tissue treatment tool. So that's a whole new frontier for me is figuring out how to manufacture a product. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what's going on now. So that's that's how I got here, the nutshell wow. version. That's crazy that you went from, like, one, like, your undergrad being so different to, like, chiropractic school. Like, I can only imagine your first year, like, uh, did you, like, take I mean, any, like, anatomy courses before then? Like, <laughs> Right. So um, I took, so in undergrad, I had to take some physiology and chemistry and okay. stuff as prerequisites to chiropractic school, but I hadn't taken any formal anatomy classes, but everybody else had, <laughs> most people, because they had a biology degree or they had a physiology degree or kinesiology or something. Um, and at first I thought that was a disadvantage, but it was actually, in my opinion, an advantage because I got to learn it for the first time after going through a, um, a, f like a higher education program. So I was, I think that if I took it when I was younger, and I didn't appreciate how to learn and how to think. Yeah. I, I think I actually learned it better because I did it a little bit later. That's like really so, good advice right there, honestly. Well, like I think about if I went back now. So I started that program when I was 23 and now I'm 32. And if I went there now, I know I would learn it even better because I'm way more conscious of what I'm doing. Like I'm way more, I'm, I'm much more aware of what I'm doing now than I was when I was 23. So like, I get why people go back when they get older. Like I didn't understand that before. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, but so I thought it was a disadvantage, but it was actually an advantage because I learned it and I tried way harder because I didn't know because I knew I was at uh, a sort of knowledge deficit. Yeah, and I think, like, kids now, when they're coming out of high school, they don't really know what to do, but they have all this pressure from their parents to, like, get into university and just, like, take something. And then because they're not, like, really into it, they yeah. just kind of, like, go through the motions, and then you're stuck with some random degree, and you're like, sweet. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah, right? And it's like, I still don't really know what I really want to be doing yet. Like I'm constantly pushing into new ventures because I'm still trying to figure out what I enjoy the most. Yeah. I think like I like it's like you know if you're climbing up a ladder of pursuit and you realize like where the top of that ladder goes, if you can look and have some foresight, you can decide like do you want to stay on this ladder or do you want to climb over to another ladder that started higher but ends higher? You know, yeah. like if all let's say all the ladders were the same length, it's like you can make lateral moves to go vertically. So, you know, if you don't know exactly what you want to do, hey, I, I don't know either. Like I had a, <laughs> I switched from business to chiropractic. I had a clinic and then sold it to pursue something else. And now I'm continuing to pursue different things. And it's just a process. The idea that you'll know exactly what you want to do by the age of 18 or 20 or 25 or probably 30 or 40. It, how can you know that? You can't know. You change yeah. too. And when you change, the things you want change. So when you became a chiropractor and started working in the clinic, like, did you go work for somebody else or did you just right off the bat, you're like, F it, I'm going to start my own clinic? Well, I was going to work for somebody else. 
Um, and I was led to believe I was going to work with this other person. And then um, that agreement sort of fell through at the last minute unexpectedly because of the arrangement that I wanted versus what she wanted. And so I just said, screw it. I'm going to go start my own clinic. So I never worked for their clinic. I just started one, That's which was funny. actually pretty. <laughs> well, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? Like, right. you're just going to go. Like, you could, if, if you tried to do it yourself and then it didn't work, you'd end up doing what you would have done anyways and always wondered. So, like, not, not perceiving that is strange to me. Like, if you want to do it, why delay it? You're delaying it out of the fear of it not working, but then you're going to end up doing what you're doing anyways. So, like, you end up doing what you would have done anyways. Yeah. So it's like, but then you learn a lot. Yeah. And that, and that learning is incredible because then when you do it again, you're smarter. You have more experience. Like, if, I, if everything I did failed, I would be so much better at starting it again, better, cleaner, smarter, with more intention. But you're not going to get that if, if you're too afraid to try. Yeah. But you have to figure out why are you afraid to try. You know, it's the fear of failure. Well, what, what are you really afraid of? You're afraid of finding out that you're not good enough? Well, then, then learn and figure it out. Because no one in the world was born knowing how to do everything. They had to try. Like, it's not like there's two routes, a route to failure and a route to success. There's one route to success. And failures are like little check checkpoints, little learning points that are on the path to where you want to go. It's not the path itself. Yeah. So now I'm also kind of curious, like when you first started, like if someone did a quick, you know, Google search of you, like they can tell right away you're huge influence with exercise and movement. So I'm kind of curious, like when your first year of practicing, were you teaching patients how to move and exercise and things like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I've always believed that that's the most important thing. Yeah. Like I, I always, I don't, I don't really call myself a chiropractor. I, I, I think of, that's just an area that I studied. You know, legally yeah. and licensure wise, I'm a chiropractor. Sure. But like, it, but I don't label myself. I just I help people reach their goals, and I study different fields to do it. So I, I don't identify like I'm a chiropractor, therefore I have to manipulate the joints, and that's the only thing I can do because anything like I don't care. Like I'm going to do whatever I can legally do to help someone reach their goals. Like maybe that's adjusting their back, but maybe it's adjusting their programming. They're doing it at the gym. Maybe it's showing them not how to not irritate their the area of their body. Maybe it's <laughs> helping them like. There were people in my clinic where literally I just encouraged them to eat healthier and to go to the gym, and that's what got them better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I was doing all that stuff, but I was actually teaching seminars before I opened my clinic, ironically, because uh, I was doing talks at gyms for free just to try to get my name out there to get new clients and get a demand up before I opened my doors so I didn't open my doors and have nobody. So I probably did like... 10 seminars before I opened my clinic. Um, five of those were, I just did for free. And then five of those were ones that I actually did for profit. Um, so I was doing a lot of that before I even started. And, and that, so that kind of grew into, and that, that probably influenced a lot of how I practiced just because I was already going down that route. I think education is the most important thing. Um, so I, I took a highly educated educational approach to working with clients and patients because they're with me for 30 minutes or an hour once or twice a week and they were with themselves the other however many hours or in a week uh that's a really small dose yeah. so to increase the do to increase the dose size required education on what to do themselves and otherwise it's, it's like ineffective dose yeah and it's like really important for like because i work in a clinic as well alongside mm -hmm. a chiropractor and i take care of the exercise portion and patients love education like when you tell them why they're doing a certain exercise they just have so much more buy-in and a higher chance that they'll actually do it on their own and it's just a better mm -hmm. service because like the Cairo down the street you know it's like seven minutes with three patients at the same time snap crackle pop and you're out of there and you're just like oh okay I guess that's it yeah I think that uh, with the internet people are People are really smart. People yeah. want to learn. They want to know why. The internet has created such an access to knowledge that if you're not providing it, they're going to find it because people are inherently curious. 
so if you can explain, like, hey, we're doing this because it works this way. Oh, got it. Like, why, why, why would we not explain it? Like, the more clarity you give someone, they understand why they're doing it. But if there's not a reason why, then it's just some exercise I was given because I was supposed to. But if they understand, like, oh, it's going to help me because of this, this, and this, yeah, it's going to be way more effective. So uh, education has to be first, in my opinion. Um, there's no, there's no magic exercise. There's no magic chiropractic manipulation. There's no magic trigger point that's just going to fix everybody's problems. Like I don't think that exists. I think that's something that we would love, and I think that's a reflection of people not being patient, and maybe the providers not being patient because if someone doesn't get better quickly, they take it as a personal thing, um, when in reality it might just be a biological or physiologic thing. Um, you know, a lot of times, like back, people's back problems, they might not, it might physically not be possible for them to get better for months. And um, if you think that you can get someone better in a couple weeks, when in reality the time frame for them is a couple of months, you like, you start to feel like, oh, you know, like maybe there's some personal value issue there. But that's not true. Like you can't control physiology. You can affect things. Um, so education of time frames and expectations are also very important. Not just the exercise, but hey, this might take 12 weeks. And there's nothing that you can do to replace that time in certain cases. Yeah, some things get better fast. But if you think that, if you're thinking on a three-week time frame, but the reality is it's a three-month time frame, you're going to think what you're doing isn't working. It is working. You just haven't waited long enough. And like that education is really important, in my opinion, too. Yeah. Otherwise, people get frustrated. The clinician or the trainer or whoever gets frustrated, and the client or patient gets frustrated. Expectations are key. Yeah, and I think, like, nowadays, like, just getting out of pain takes just a little bit longer because, like, you know, 10 years ago, you're dealing with everyone sitting all the time at work, but now, mm -hmm. since the introduction of the smartphone, it's been, I don't know, 11 years since the iPhone came out, and now everyone's on their phone and laptop sitting all day looking down and you see people with like such shitty shoulders and necks nowadays and like yeah it's it's just going to take longer because like you're trying to undo decades of poor posture and just poor movement mechanics yeah i mean depending on like the tissue that's being stressed yeah if you're stressing it hours and hours every day <laughs> like yeah it's going to it's going to take longer because uh, let's say you're sitting in a poor posture, you're not moving around, like you're going to have less circulation. If you have less circulation, you have less ability to deliver nutrients to the tissues that need it to recover, and you, you don't have as good uh, clearing of waste products. So you know, moving around a lot is important. You know, a lot of times people think they have, like, they'll sit and they're like, oh, my traps are so tight. And they'll be like, so they have to stretch their traps. And it's like, maybe your traps aren't tight. Maybe you just need to move around and you have a lack of circulation because you've been sitting in this position and and they've been under stretch, and that has cut off the blood flow. And so you experience that as tightness, you know? Like, so moving around a lot is important because of, you know, movement is life. Movement is how you pump fluid around your body. That's how you deliver things to your tissues. So if you're never moving, you're having suboptimal delivery of oxygen, of nutrients. You have, so, yeah, there's, there's multiple factors there. You're stressing it, but you're also decreasing that. Um, so yeah, that's definitely going to be a worse scenario, um, and there's no arguing that people are definitely putting their necks in different positions, looking at their phone all day long. And um, I don't know. I saw this picture once of uh, a line of people on their smartphones, like waiting for a train. Yeah. But then another fo another photo from a hundred years ago where people were doing the same thing but reading a newspaper. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, and that made me think, like, okay, but maybe that's just at the train and the rest of the day they're not doing that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's no – I don't know, like, the statistics, but – Yeah, it's something we seems can't really like, prove just yet, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but just, you know, just because we can't prove it doesn't mean it's not – yeah. it doesn't exist, right? But if you, if you go, like, say, to the mall and you look at the standard millennial that's probably the age between – what is it? 24 and 31, I guess. Like, no, just... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a millennial because I always see Simon Sinek's videos on the internet and I get, <laughs> I get, I get, I get irritated that he calls people yeah. who are millennials children, which I yeah. think is really, really degrading to people who have 
spent many years becoming educated because he wants to do it for profit to sell his books, but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> we can talk about. That's awesome. But, um, yeah, back to my point. It's like if you go somewhere and you see the standard millennial, like, they're all looking down on their phones. Like, like I live in a condo building, and it's a younger yeah. crowd, and, like, I don't ever see people's faces anymore because as they're walking through, they're always on their phone. And, like, I, I like to, like, tell myself that I have a reason to look at my phone because I'm posting on social media to help others. But, like, right. I'm in the same boat. Like, you know, sometimes I'll, like, see some employees at my work or they're just, like, on their break for an hour just, like, scrolling through Facebook and not really even doing anything. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think this is a big issue for our posture. <laughs> I think it's a big issue for a lot of things. Yeah. I would say posture, but I would also say if you're if you're looking at your phone all day long, you're not actually living in the real world. Like you're living your consciousness is focused on living in this little screen. Like you're not actually present in the world. It's like when I look around and I see people looking at their phones, I'm like these people are not living in the same world that I'm in. They're in their own little world on this screen right now that's a huge psychological issue yeah because it's like oh oh, like you took their phone away and it's like they woke up out of a dream state they're like oh where am i (laughs) it's like welcome to the real world you know that's something that i think we got to break because what do you it's like what are what are people looking for they don't even know what they're looking for You, you spend an hour on your phone refreshing your instagram feed what are you looking for it's such a ingrained habit to get like some pleasure out of escaping your current situation. It's like time you're spending, let's say you spent three, on Apple's newest update, they put a thing that shows you how many, how many hours a week you're on your phone. Yeah. Right. Like I think mine was, I don't know. I looked at mine when it first came out and I realized like I could have read a book. Yeah. I could have read an entire book when I was doing nothing on my phone. And if you did that every week, like that's 50 books. Jeez. Each, if you choose your books wisely and you're learning from somebody who's, you know, let's say they're in their fifties or sixties when they wrote the, the book that summarized all the things they learned in their entire life, you're basically missing out on like thousands of years of knowledge because you want to look at your phone. I got when I had that realization, it was like, if I catch myself going, I'm like, okay, let me let me put that down. Let me read a book. Like, I'm only doing it because I don't know what to do instead. I think that's why people do it. They don't know what to do instead. Yeah. I have downtime. I guess I'll look at my phone. Because you have to develop a different habit. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with that. So, like, with this whole new, like, technology trend that everyone's on their phones, like, where do you see injuries going to, like, say, five years down the road if, you know, our phones haven't turned into, like, contact lenses and we just live in virtual reality? But, like, where, where do you think you, you'll we'll see more injuries at? Like, will it just be primarily just neck or, like, just something else? Like, what do you think? Um, you know, I, de- I think that companies like Apple, Microsoft – it seems to me they're trying to get people to use those devices less. Mm-hmm. Like, why else would Apple send you a thing every week that says, hey, this is your screen time? I, I think that they realize that the consum- people are realizing, like, hey, it's probably not the best idea to do that. You know, we've never had this kind of device before. We're still learning how to use it. We're still Humanity doesn't know how to use this technology yet in the most effective way. Like, clearly... Spending hours on your phone doing nothing is not the most effective way to use these tools. I think we're actually going to use them less because we'll get smarter of how to actually utilize them. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no like. I, I don't think it's going to increase because I think we see the trend of people talking about this more and, and trying to put their devices down. The companies themselves are giving us reminders of how much time we're using them. So I don't know. But when I was in my clinic, I never really like. I can't say that I ever really saw injuries from people using their devices. Maybe they had a little bit of neck pain, but most of the injuries I saw were from people doing stupid lifts at the gym when they weren't strong enough to do them or they didn't know how or, or they had a, a programming error or they, uh, you know, something like that. I can't – and maybe that's because of the population that I was seeing. Um, but 
I'm not sure how many people are really getting injured from these devices. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know, but I think we're going to see a decrease in usage, personally. Yeah, like it seems like because I was recently reading an article, like for Apple, like this was the first time where they didn't have a huge like sale for sales for their new phone because now they come up. It's with a saturated. New, yeah, like they do it every single year, and I think people yep. are just like, ah, I don't really need it. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, like with all this corruption, like let's say with Facebook and all the weird stuff they're doing, like. We've hit saturation with smartphones in these in these markets, and I think people are starting to realize, like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want Facebook, or hey, I'm going to try to limit the screen time on my phone, because I think we're now realizing what this is, yeah, and what it, what you can use it for and what you need to not use it for. But I could be wrong. I don't know. That's just my thought. It'll, it'll be interesting to see where like social media in general goes in like five years because you know, like I'm a big fan of like Gary Vaynerchuk and he's always saying that voice is going to be the next thing and I'm like oh I always think to myself I'm like how is that going to look you know what I mean like because I think this right now some some people would like to have something visual but at the same time like asking like Google or Alexa like it's just so much quicker to get information that way but yeah I don't know well like a podcast is that yeah like, for example, like, we're having such a rise in information that's spreading via podcast. And that's something that you can listen to while you're going for a walk. So perhaps people won't be looking at Instagram. They'll be listening to things while they do something physical. Like, imagine if we could do that. Instead of people endlessly scrolling through um, Instagram, refreshing their feeds, what they could do is listen to something educational and go for a walk. And the more and more content that's produced that is audio or just voice, uh, you know, that'll really, that'll help. It's like, yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know what that looks like, but at what point does society just go, okay, I'm sick of looking at photos <laughs> of things that don't affect me at all and don't really matter. I don't know. Yeah. It's still so new. It's still so new. Um, but yeah, voice is obviously much easier. I think it has a long way to go. I don't, it's, it still messes up so much. But when the technology gets better, yeah, who knows where that's going to go. Well, the day that Instagram dies, there's so many online trainers that are going to be so disappointed that they don't have a following anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always going to be other platforms. Like, in my opinion, YouTube is a way more important platform than Instagram for that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to, like, this would almost be like a business question with your clinic. Like, because you said you mm -hmm. sold it in, like, four and a half years, four years? Uh, yeah, yeah. I sold it after being, after running it for four years. So like in your opinion, like what made it successful other than educating with seminars and educating your patients? Like, cause I think a lot of practitioners that come out of school, they're like, Oh, I really want to open up a clinic, but they don't really have that like entrepreneurial kind of vibe in them. And they're just like, Holy shit. Like I have to worry about payroll. I have to worry about this. And how do I market myself? Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know how to use Facebook. Like, what the fuck, right? So I'm kind of yeah. curious, like, what made your clinic successful? Like, is there a couple things that kind of went down the right path for you? Yeah, I think I knew what I know and could help people with, and I knew what I, what I didn't. So, and I pursued the things that I knew I, I was good at. So... I knew CrossFit. I knew functional fitness really well. That was 95% of my patient population. And when people came to me for like other things that I didn't do, I didn't, I didn't treat them. I referred them. I was like, look, I don't do that. So I specialized in that. Half of my clinic was, a, I had like one, I had two treatment rooms and then, a, and then the majority of the square footage in my clinic was a gym. <clears throat> I also didn't try to maximize my revenue. I just, I did what was right for the person. So you could say monetarily, I wasn't quote unquote as successful as I could have been because I could have made way more money, but that wasn't what mattered to me. What mattered to me was helping people. And so I focused on like, like I had to go out of network because the networks were dictating what I was treated, how I would treat. And I wasn't okay with that. Like, I would have to get pre-authorization to do to do exercise, but not to manipulate. 
And that's dictating how I would choose to treat. And I think that's extremely unethical. So I chose I chose to go to network because it was like, look, I don't want a monetary incentive telling me how to treat when that their little rule has no it has nothing related to the person that's right there. So I could have made more money just like, okay, let me just adjust everybody and not do the thing they actually need. But I chose to do what they needed. And so I I had a lot of referrals from people um, telling their friends, like, hey, you have something to go here. They'll, they'll actually do what they, you need. Like, they're not just going to see you for five minutes. So it's a different way of thinking, you know, in, a, in a, like a very capitalistic way. We would think, like, okay, the goal is to maximize profit. I, that's not my only goal. There's multiple variables. The goal is to maximize profit while delivering what people really need. And people forget that second part. It's like, okay, let me, let me sell these neck braces to people who have been in car accidents because I can buy them for super cheap and the insurance companies. Like, if that's what you're focused on, you're missing it. Like, if you're looking for tricks on how to make more money instead of doing what people want and what they need and what they value, you're missing it to do tricks. And I think too many people are trying to find the little tricks and the little loopholes instead of just doing the hard work and getting, giving people the service that they want. So, I mean, maybe that's why. And that, that's just how I've always approached it. Yeah, and I think if you're more, like, service-based where, like, the patient or client is, like, priority number one and not, like, how can I make this sale even bigger? Like, in the long <laughs> run, you're just going to win. Like, you're thinking micro, not macro. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, maybe, you're, maybe you make more that week, but, but are you going to be successful in 10 years? Yeah. Are you going to be successful in 30 years? I'm thinking down, I'm thinking of what's going to happen when I'm 60. I'm not thinking of what's happening this month. Yeah. And uh, so I think that your reputation is important, and the way you get a good reputation is by doing the right thing, even if it isn't what you want to do necessarily. But I think that has layers to it. Like, why do you want to maximize profit above everything else? Just to have more money? Like, didn't you do this to help people? I think we lose sight of that in the in in the uh, in the um, approach of or in the uh, pursuit of just trying to have as much money in a bank account. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I like making money, but it's one factor. You have to deliver high value service, high value products, not try to maximize it by like finding little tricks. Yeah, 100%. Um, the next thing I kind of want to get into is, like, your website, the movement fix. Like, uh -huh. when you, like, go through there, like, the way it's designed and laid out and the amount of content on there is just, like, freaking amazing. So good job. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, like, at what point did you start kind of producing content and education on your website? And, like, who's kind of coming to your website for that information? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, I created the, so initially my clinic was a, a different name, a different brand. And I had, so I had that and then I had my blog and my seminars, which were movement fix. And then I eventually combined them under one name, which was move, the movement fix. And, uh, it was probably about three or four years ago. I decided that in order to, uh, really, well, I, I started filming videos. I was just going to use them as instructional exercise videos to send to my clients and patients. So if I said, hey, you need to do these, you know, four exercises, and then they could watch the video. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I don't know, I probably, I forget how many of those I did. Um, and I quickly realized that, okay, like, I'd rather just film me coaching them in my clinic on their phone so they could watch it because everyone, if they're coming in for one-on-one -on -one stuff, like, everyone's going to need different cues. So I realized I didn't really want to do it that way, but I, I wanted to put out information that I thought was important uh, for people to think about and learn from. So then I started uh, posting basically weekly about three or four years ago. And uh, honestly, like I just made the stuff I thought needed to be made. I didn't do any like research of what people were searching for on Google or anything like that. I just thought, hey, you know what? I saw this in my clinic or I was thinking about this. I saw this at a seminar. I'm going to make a video about it. And, uh, yeah, that, that stuff just accumulates. I mean, there was a day when I had zero videos, <laughs> zero YouTube followers. 
and I put out the first video. And then years go by, and you do that little by little, and it turns into a lot. Um, but, yeah, I'm about to uh, actually start putting out way more content because I've, I've kind of taken a little bit of time off of it while I was focusing on other projects, but that's going to become a big priority, so there's going to be way more stuff coming out. But, uh, yeah, it's a project. It's like it's my life's, my life's work so far, really. <laughs> like Everything that I do is to build that. Yeah. That's it. So, like, now where you are in your career, like, what's kind of, like, your average day, like, what does your average day kind of look like now? Yeah, man. Um, there is no average day. Every day is quite different. So, um, yeah, in the last 12 months, I lived three months in South America, like, four months in the United States, um, and then two months in Thailand. Um, and so it's been quite different every day and every week. But as I did the New Year's goals, I've been trying to create more structure, basically. So I'll wake up and then I'll listen to 30 to 45 minutes of some sort of uh, audio book. Or not really an audio book, more like an audio course. And then I'll... Um, and then I'll meditate and journal, and then I'll have breakfast, and then I'll work on my computer for two hours, and then I'll go to the gym, and then I'll come back and work for three hours, and then I'll hang out and read for an hour or two, and then I'll enjoy the rest of my night. And then if I'm teaching a seminar, I'm obviously traveling for that, and then the day-to-day -day just goes. Like, it's very hard to keep that structure when you're yeah. traveling. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what it kind of looks like now. But then what I'm actually doing day-to-day -day is quite different. Like, I spent I spent a month where I was just working on creating this tool and figuring out how to get it manufactured and how to, how to get it made. And then the next month I was building business systems. So those projects vary quite a bit. I'm trying to become more systematic, which is definitely my my biggest challenge right now as a business owner is systematizing everything. It's quite hard to extend yourself beyond yourself. It's not a natural thing. Yeah. I mean, not natural for me, maybe it is for other people, but I'm trying to, that's the, that's what I'm trying to do now. Nice. Um, the other thing I'm kind of curious about too, is like what's getting you excited in the rehab world? I think seeing more people realizing that, like rehab exercises and strength training and exercise like in and of itself aren't so different. Like everything's a, like it used to be like, okay, here's your rehab exercises. And, it, and it's, it, look, this stuff is lifelong habits. It, like, okay, maybe you, maybe you hurt your back. It's like, okay, it's not just like here are your back exercises. It's here is how you should be working out while you let your back get better. And then here's how we get it back stronger. And then here's how you continue to be strong and healthy for the rest of your life. Like that makes me excited. The idea of like, okay, just do these like bird dogs until your back is better and then go on with the right. Like, no, it, if you, okay, we're in this generation right now. Like I said earlier about with the internet, we have unlimited access to information. We have the opportunity to be the healthiest generation in the world that's ever existed because we have all the information how to do it. We know how to eat healthy, even though many companies would like to <laughs> blur that so they can sell you things. But we know generally how to eat healthy. We know how to work out. We know how to move. And that information is immediately accessible via YouTube, via search engines, Instagram, etc. There's more availability to learn that now than ever. This stuff is lifelong, so we could be 70, 80, 90, 90 years old and still be very physically able-bodied. So I think when we start looking at it as a timeline of an entire life, a rehab program and where that goes needs to be like to get you back on the track of staying healthy for the, the rest of your life. And that's probably going to be some sort of exercise or movement plan or whatever it is. So that makes me excited, like, thinking about how we will start thinking of it as that continuum and inserting people back into that continuum with the correct modification to programming. 
Otherwise, it's like, what are we? Why are we doing it? Like, just so your shoulder doesn't hurt right now, or your back doesn't hurt right now. But what happens in two years? And we see chronic back pain, all these chronic issues. It's because we're missing something. We're, this stuff is a habit that has to be done daily, weekly, monthly for the rest of your life. It, you know, it, like you don't eat once and then you're full for the rest of your life. You don't work out once. You don't do these exercises once. Part of maintaining your body is stressing it in certain ways so you stay strong, so you keep your body, um, you keep stressing it so that you, you don't just wither away. Uh, so that makes me excited. I don't know if that's actually a trend, but that's what I think it should be. No, but I, I think you're on the right track because it's like you're starting to see more coaches and like physical therapists kind of blending the lines of like rehab and movement and like what I do in the clinic, like when people ask me, it's like, oh, you're just like the rehab guy. And I'm like, no, I'm just really like just coaching people how to move better because we get a lot of CrossFitters and they're like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, my fucking shoulder hurts. And I'm like, well, let's see how you press overhead. I'm like, that's your problem. You got to press this way. You got to do it this way. You got to move this thing. And they're like, oh, that feels better. I'm like, yeah, just start doing it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, and like we were, you know, we have this body and uh, you know, like we're supposed to inherently know how to move it, right? Like through development. Yeah. But we're conscious. Okay. So like we, like if you look at an animal, it just runs around. It doesn't think like I have an arm. Hmm. I wonder what I could do with my arm. But we do that, and then we're like, someone's like, I have pain. Let me test it, and my shoulder hurts. Let me move it a thousand times a day to see if it still hurts. Like. That's not, I don't think that's like an instinct. I think that's us like, oh, I wonder if it's still hurting. Let me check, let me check, let me check. And then we keep irritating it. So like we need coaches, trainers, and guides who understand the body to help people understand that stuff. Because like what, what, if, you, if you took away your ability to think, you'd probably just avoid for a while doing the thing that hurt until it felt better. But like people's back hurts and, and they, they bend forward a thousand times a day. Does it still hurt? Oh, yeah, it still hurts. Dang it. Oh, it still hurts. It's like you're not supposed to do that. You need to let it cool off. And then well, how do you get back into it? How do you do it safely? Because people overdo it because they get, they're, like, they're, they're overzealous. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a, like teaching people how to use this body that we have. And that's so important because it, it can be confusing. Like if you don't know what's under the skin, if you don't know how joints are shaped and how muscles work and how physiology works, like it's really confusing. And then you, you don't really know what to do. And then all that information on the internet can be quite confusing. It's hard to sort through. So yeah, the job of a Cairo, a PT, whatever, it's like to help you figure that stuff out because that's what we've studied and become, uh, and, and have an expertise in that subject matter. It'd be like, I don't know how to program a computer. Like, someone studied that. Like, it's not inherent that everyone knows how to lift correctly, press correctly, deadlift, and do all these, like, advanced lifts in a gym. It's not, those aren't necessarily natural. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So it gets me excited, though, to think about how we're, we're going to figure that out and figure out, like, what it all really means. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to kind of end this because we're coming up to that hour. But uh, maybe for the last question, you can tell the audience mm -hmm. where they can find you online, what projects you have coming out, seminars coming up, and anything else you want to plug on my show, you can do it right now. Yeah, sure. So I have uh, several – well, first, where you can find all the free information that we have is themovementfix.com. Uh, and all the blogs and videos are categorized by body area and lift. And there's a little thing, if you just go to the homepage, it says find my fix. You can push that button and it'll ask you several questions. Then it'll organize the results so you can uh, find more clearly what you're looking for. Um, then on Instagram, which is at the movement fix. And then YouTube, I don't know, there's something like 300 tutorial videos that are uh, I don't know, each like five minute, five minutes long about different topics. Um, that's just YouTube. Search for YouTube, the Move It Fix. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, in terms of things that, uh, in projects, I have a, we have a shoulder mobility program, a low back and hip mobility program. 
which are basically for people who need a little bit of additional stretching and strengthening work in those areas. And then there's a full body mobility program, which I consider to be daily movement maintenance. And it's 15, 10 to 15 minutes a day, 90 sessions, and it's meant to be repeated basically for as many days as you want to do it over and over and over again because that's just daily maintenance. And then um, there's some additional strength training programs. And, um, and then the tool that I'm creating, which is designed for professional use, will be out in a couple months. It's called the T-Tool. It is um, designed to be the most ergonomic soft tissue treatment tool to help providers not fatigue and uh, have issues with their hands when they're doing soft tissue work on, on clients. So I'm very excited about that. That's the biggest project I've undertaken at this point, and uh, I think it'll be ready pretty soon. So watch out for that if that's something you do. Um, and then I'm going to be doing uh, some workshops through Europe and South America the rest of this year. Those are all at themoveitfix.com forward slash workshops. But yeah, so those are the main things as of now. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. It was really great to chat and finally connect and um, you know help good information get out there. Awesome. That sounds amazing. And like, yeah, you're a rock star. This is, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 202 with Ryan the Bell. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. And again, I want to thank every single one of you for listening to my show from the very beginning. And any new listeners to my show, what's up? Hopefully you've been enjoying the last couple episodes. So I'm going to say this over and over and over and over and over again. Share, 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 share this podcast with your friends, family, people on social media, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever the hell is the new thing out there, share it on that platform so we can grow this thing. Keep an eye out for my new book that's going to be launching soon. Click the show notes to add me on Facebook. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out. I am always looking forward to any dms i get or emails i get from fans listening to the show and i actually answer them back so let's start a conversation and i'm going to continue giving you the best fitness and health advice tricks of the trade out there in the universe week in week out until next time you guys